You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys here today. I'm Trent Stewart. I'm the lead pastor. And if you're a visitor, we want to say thanks for being here. And uh, if you're a regular attender or partner, we just finished a series entitled It Matters. And today we're diving into a completely different uh, idea and concept. And so if you've got your Bibles, let's jump to Luke chapter 7. We'll be there in just a moment as you're turning there. We are really thankful that the Haiti team made it back safely. I don't know if you were watching the Weather Channel, but there was a hurricane in that area and, and um, they were safe. It didn't even rain on them, so God protected them through that. And uh, they saw like 500 um, different people during this, this, this week. And so it was a medical and dental clinic. I think they took out uh, four or 500 teeth, you know. So it was a, it was a really uh, a good experience, I'm sure. Pastor James took out three teeth so I don't know if those people are still alive but you know he participated at least but um, uh, you know and, and the thing about it is they're bringing the gospel with them and so they're meeting a need but they're also sharing Christ and so what a great week they had and and so pumped about that and and anybody go to the football game last night anybody all right there was zero in the first service because it was way too late but I stayed up and watched it what a great game everybody did a great job and so um, and every time I just see the coaching staff and just like hear them talk it's just uh, really blessed I think in that school system to have such a powerful uh, coach and staff and, and just man what a great game right if you're a Fulton fan you're like I hate this guy I hate this guy but uh, yeah, so we're starting a new series entitled Broken Vessels. And, and really the point of the series deals with you and I um, as flawed people, we are broken in so many ways. I mean, we, we have made mistakes in our life. We have sinned against people. Sin, people have sinned against us. And as a result, there are broken relationships. There are broken um, um, pieces to our heart. There are broken um, areas and ways in, in, in our life that we deal with things inappropriately as a result. And so everybody in this room could point to an, a season in their life or a specific event in their life where they were hurt by something. There are painful memories. Uh, there are painful things that happen to us in our life. And so, you know, as a result of either sin that we commit or sin that's committed against us, we deal with shame and we deal with guilt on a very intense level. And if you and I aren't biblically following God's word on how we deal with shame and how we handle guilt, then we could be affecting other people in our life and our own relationship with God and other people in a very negative way. And so today I want to talk about specifically the title is that some things need to be broken. And uh, specifically, we want to talk about shame today. But next Sunday, uh, we're going to dive into a topic that, that deals with this as well. And the title of the sermon is that uh, broken people break things. Uh, because we've all heard the statement, hurt people hurt people. Um, and it's out of our brokenness that we hurt other people and we hurt other relationships. And because of the wounds in our own life that we haven't dealt with properly, we end up treating people poorly. We end up following you know, certain uh, bad behaviors that lead to you know, a, a lot of other painful situations. So we wanna talk about that. And ultimately we're gonna get to the concept of forgiveness. And so we're gonna talk about forgiveness next Sunday. Uh, week three, we're gonna talk about confession. What really is the point of confession biblically? Because it, brokenness in confession can lead to great things, but, but we all get kind of tied up in a confession cycle. 
You know, as a kid, we, you know, sometimes you confess the same sin over and over and over again. So what is the point of confession when we look at the Bible? And then finally, week four, we're going to talk about how God makes broken things beautiful. And so we're going to talk about our identity in Christ and how God takes all of the broken pieces of our life and he still makes beautiful things out of it. So I mean, I'm excited about the series. We have some invite cards at the um, uh, at guest services if you want to take some cards and, and mail them to people or, or just hand them out. Grab a, a handful of those because this is a, a series that I believe a lot of people need to hear. Um, because essentially, we've all experienced pain. And for some of you, it started at a very young age. You know, even as a kid, we have to deal with things that we're not ready to deal with. And, and so for some of you, your parents divorced. Um, you lost a, a, a parent. You lost a grandparent, something like that. Um, a mom or dad left you and so there's this huge kind of kind of emptiness in your heart and so there's there's a lot of things that result after that how do you deal with that pain and 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 what does that look like a lot of you know people were picked on as kids in school and so you know teased or for whatever reasons you know we have we have those experiences and they're still in our mind and and those experiences as a kid still affect us as adults if we haven't dealt with that in a healthy way and so uh, we've all dealt with painful memories and and for some of you, you've experienced some form of abuse, whether it be sexual abuse as a kid or maybe as a teenager, even as an adult, maybe it's um, mental abuse, physical abuse, some form of abuse. Man, when people go through that, it is, it is um, a, a huge part of, of how they uh, deal with people in the future. And so, so if we're not processing that in a biblical way, you know, it can affect us negatively. Um, as a victim of abuse, man, you, you, maybe it's, it's, it's you or maybe it was a family member or you're married to somebody that's gone through that. It's not only important if you've gone through it, it's important to kind of understand this if you're in a relationship with somebody that has gone through this um, in, in order to help them and in order to guide them, even biblically, um, as we look at this. The LA Times just released an article this past week uh, based on some new research. They found that between the years uh, 2004 and, and 2011, there were almost 6 million kids that had been abused in some form or fashion. 6 million kids. Now, that's just the, the ones that reported it. So imagine the millions of others that didn't report this crime. And, and what you'll see uh, statistically is one out of four women have been abused and one out of seven, um, or one out of six, sorry, one out of six men have been abused in some form or fashion. So the issue is huge. The issue is, is, is a major concern, I think, in the life of a church. And I know that many of you in this room are dealing with that, have dealt with that, and will deal with that in the future. This abuse can leave a, a long and lasting imprint on your life. And, and, and so if we don't deal with it properly, there's a, several things that we begin to, to do to cope with it. But one of the things that we can do is, is we can become uh, an anxious person. And so anxiety is a way that we deal with it. Because of these experiences that happen now, now you know, we're worried about everything in the future. We're, we're anxious about you know, things today and is it gonna work out? And some, some people deal with it in a different way. It's just mainly fear. And so they fear future relationships. They fear like leading. They fear putting themselves out there, maybe in a small group setting or in a church setting or something like that. A lot of people would deal with it with uh, depression. They'll allow that situation to just, just depress them and, and, and keep them emotionally down. Some people will deal with it by just trying to numb the pain. So prescription drugs or, you know, we're, we're going to do any number of, I'll just get high, I'll just get drunk, those kinds of things. And if I do that on a regular basis, then that helps me cope with it and helps me deal with the pain. And some people just deal with it flat out anger, you know. 
Because of that situation, they're just angry people. And so, you know, they get upset quickly. There's a short fuse. They're, they're mean to people. And, and uh, so we want to identify like some of these situations that might be happening in our life as a result of abuse done to us. And, and, and even sin that we might commit as well can cause us to do this. But there's one emotion that I think every abuse victim will experience, and that is shame. Um, shame because of what has happened to them. Um, they begin to potentially blame themselves for the situation. And so that self-blame turns into a lot of guilt. And uh, so there's a lot of unhealthy things that are taking place in, in, in a person's mind as they deal with that. And so, so if you've gone through abuse, you're dealing with shame. There's another group of you in the room that maybe that hasn't happened to you, but you've sinned against somebody, you've made a mistake, you've done something and you feel a lot of remorse for it. And so you, you have shame and you have guilt over that situation. And maybe that was you know, a year ago, maybe that was 10 years ago, no matter what, when it happened, like even today, you still feel guilty for that. There's still a, a level of shame in your life. And, and that lingering shame in your life affects how you deal with people today, it affects how you lead your family, it affects how you deal with people at work. And, and so what we wanna do through this series is identify the biblical concepts for how we view shame and how we overcome shame. And, and, and by doing that, we can begin to live a life of peace, inward peace, and begin to live a life that Jesus calls us to. Today, he calls us to live a life that's more abundant or life to the fullest. And so um, I was reminded uh, of this story this week um, my son, when he was five, he's 10 now, but when he was five, he was a tornado. I mean, he was into everything and he was all boy and, and just running around and, and, and just climbing on stuff. And one day in particular, he was running around doing his deal and he trips and he falls and he, and he hit right above his eye on a chair and split him wide open. So he had this big cut. So we rush him to the emergency room and we get there. And of course, as a five-year-old, you're He's super nervous and scared. I mean, let's grant it, none of us want to be in that situation. So he's like, daddy, is it going to hurt? Daddy, are they going to give me a shot? Daddy, are they going to give me stitches? Um, and he's asking all these questions and, you know, and sure enough, they had to give him stitches. And so right before the doctor came in to perform the, the stitches and do the whole thing, he said, Dad, I wish I could just go to sleep and wake up and this would all be over. <laughs> and that stuck with me because the truth is every single person in this room who's experienced some form of pain has said that or felt that or wished that could just happen can I just go to sleep and wake up and this whole divorce thing be over? Can I just go to sleep and, and, and then wake up and this whole painful memory would be wiped from my mind? Could I, just, could I just go to sleep and wake up and realize this was just all a really bad dream and none of it is reality? I mean, that's really typically what we would want to see. But what if there's something bigger taking place biblically and spiritually in our world and in our own personal lives that God wants to use these situations to draw us closer to him, to help us understand him in a deeper way. If, if, if there's something more to it, then we can't just go to sleep and ignore it. We can't just repress the feelings. We can't just repress the memories. There's more to it that we wanna pick up and apply and run with Jesus on these issues, and that's what this series is about. I think um, people try to numb the pain. People try to, you know, abuse drugs or abuse whatever because there's pain. And, and, and what we find is if we, you know, just simply have more relationships or, or we have more sex or we have more drugs or we have more alcohol, whatever it is that we try to fill that void in our life, what we feel, what we experience is, is, is a further and further distance from God. 
and, 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 and we are further and further away from peace, inward peace in our life. We just continue to live a very restless and reckless life. And so um, if you're dealing with shame today, I want to give you five ways that you're dealing with it. And uh, these are unhealthy ways that we deal with shame. And, and maybe the Holy Spirit will just kind of poke you in the ribs uh, as we're talking about this, because the first thing that we have to do, or maybe your spouse is going to poke you, I don't know. But the point is, you know, we want to identify our areas of struggle and our areas of, of, of coping with this, because it's always after we identify these things that we can actually work on them. If we never identify it, we can never work on it. So number one, if you're taking notes, the results of shame. This, is, this comes from Robert McGee, and he says, shame produces habitually destructive behavior. Habitually destructive behavior. And what he means by that is that because of the shame in our life, we can very easily, if not dealt with biblically, we can very easily become a very critical person a person that expects perfection around the people without them, a person that is very condemning, a person that is negative, a person that is critical. And so if you know these people, chances are they have an enormous amount of shame that they don't know how to deal with. These are the types of people that can see the speck in a brother's eye, but refuse to look at the log in their own eye in the words of Jesus. They always see faults in others. And so we wanna realize if that's us, perhaps we're dealing with shame in, a, in an inappropriate way. And we've gotta realize that we too need forgiveness. Secondly, shame instills self-pity. So the, self, the, the self-pity in us is a result of this shame. And so we always become the victim in this case. We're always the victim. We always tend to see ourselves as the victim and we're always quick to blame other people for our problems. If you're never gonna take a second to look at your own problems and, and to look at your own situation and how you're causing the situation and you're always quick to defend, you're always quick to point the finger, then perhaps you're dealing with shame in your life that you haven't dealt with appropriately. Number three, he says that shame leads to isolation or withdrawal. So if coming to church today was a big deal for you, you don't like to come to church, you don't, you're never gonna go to a small group, you don't like to be around people necessarily, you know, life would be great if it weren't for the people is your motto, <laughs> then, then perhaps you're dealing with shame in, in an inappropriate way and you're thinking that if I can just not deal with people anymore, then I won't have to deal with potential problems. Number four, Shame leads to codependent relationships. So a shameful person will, will want to develop codependent relationships in their life. And what I mean by that is they, they feel a need to take care of other people and they feel a need to rescue people. And so for them, you know, people who carry this shame need to feel needed. Because if I can feel needed by you, then it makes me feel better about myself. And so what is masked by all oh, this person cares about all these things. But when you step back and you, and you view it, you see that, man, they're always in drama. Like they're always like helping the, the, the you know, trying to help these people in drama and all this kind of stuff. And, and there's a pattern in their life. And, and the reality is because of the shame in their life, if I try to help people, I'll feel better about myself. And the weird thing is they're not, connecting people to Jesus, they're connecting people to themselves because they need that affirmation from others. And so we want to recognize that. And then finally, number five, shame may also lead us to despise our appearance. So if you're the kind of person, you know, that really hates how you look, you know, your self-esteem is really low, you look in the mirror and, and you're, and you're, you know, you just don't like what you see, 
perhaps, you know, you're dealing with the shame of your past and, and, and as a result, you're viewing yourself in this negative light. You're not seeing yourself as God created you to be and intended you to be. And so you're dealing with shame inappropriately. So we want to talk today about how we can overcome that because shame can dominate your life. It's based on a belief that what's inside of you is flawed. It looks outward to others for self-worth and for your self-esteem. That's why you're so needy trying to seek justification from other people instead of just being confident in who you are. You see, some would say guilt describes self-condemnations for what we do and shame shames us for who we are. But God has a different plan. And if you look on the screen, I'll read Ephesians 4, and 24 to really set the tone for this series and for today. And Paul says this to the church in Ephesus. He says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. So here's the reality. Even as a believer, we are tended to drop back into our former way of life, our former former way of thinking, a former way of dealing with issues, a former way of dealing with our problems and uh, of dealing with our shame. And so he says, look, very clearly, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off that old self, put off the old you, put off the old way of dealing with these problems. As a believer, we're always gonna be tempted to drop back into that way of thinking. And he says, don't do it. He says, it's being corrupted by its deceitful desires. In verse 23, instead, be made new in the attitude of your mind. And so in order to overcome this, this shame, in order to overcome these emotions, we've gotta change our attitude. If you think back to our Think series several months ago, how we think determines how we believe, how we think determines how we behave. And so we've got to go back to our minds, our our attitudes and how we are thinking. And so he says, I want your attitude of your mind to be made new. Verse 24, and he says to put on the new self, which was created to be like God in righteousness and in holiness. So we've got to put on the new self. And so that's how, this, this is what this series is kind of about. Like, like how do we put on the new self? How do we think differently? How, do, how, is our attitude is, uh, how is our attitude changed so that we're not condemning ourselves and we're not acting in these, these, these hurtful, harmful ways as we deal with shame inappropriately? And so to help us think through that, let's think about two forms of shame. One form of shame is what I call a manufactured shame. So a manufactured shame is a shame that you might be feeling today uh, that you shouldn't be feeling uh, because you didn't dishonor God by doing anything. Uh, for instance, this would be somebody who was sexually abused as a child. They, they will begin to form shame in their life. They'll feel ashamed of that situation. But that is a manufactured shame that you created in your own mind or that you allowed the enemy to influence you to think about yourself because you didn't do anything in that situation to dishonor God. Somebody did that to you. And so therefore, there's no need for you to feel that shame. But then there's a natural shame. And the natural shame is the shame that you and I experience um, when we have dishonored God. And so, so we experience that, we mess up, we make mistakes, we sin against somebody, and then we feel ashamed of what we've done. And so how do we deal with that? Because at the core of, of that situation, we wanna know how to walk faithfully with God, how to overcome that, and how to do battle against shame in our life. God is not calling us to walk around with shame and guilt every day of our lives. So how do we deal with it? What do we do? Let me, let me give you three ways that we deal with it. How do we handle shame? The first way, we wanna go back to the, to, the, uh, to the kind of shame that we shouldn't be experiencing. That's the manufactured shame. So number one, if you're taking notes, is that we've gotta resist shame 
for sins that we did not commit. So you want to resist shame that you did not commit. If you want to flip over to 2 Samuel, you can do that. But I'm going to tell you the story. You can read it later. Uh, 2 Samuel chapter 13. Uh, king David. Uh, remember David and Goliath? He, uh, he's a king now. He's got children. One of his daughters is named Tamar. And he's got a son named Amnon. Um, I don't know, you know, nobody's naming their kids that anymore. But that's what he chose, you know. And uh, one day Amnon um, comes into Tamar's room and he wants to rape her. And uh, of course she resists, she fights. And um, in verse 13 of chapter, um, yeah, of chapter 13 in 2 Samuel, she pleads with him not to do this. And here's what she says. She says, as for me, where could I carry my shame? In other words, if you do this, Amnon, where, where could I, what, what could I do with my shame? How would I ever get rid of my shame? Nobody would marry me. Nobody would want me. I would be an outcast if you do this. And she says you would be as well. She says, and for you, you would be as one of the out, outrageous fools in Israel. In other words, if you go through this, my shame is gonna disgrace me. I'll never be able to get rid of it. And if you do this, you're gonna be a fool in Israel. Everybody will look at you differently. And so she put her hands on her head. I'm sorry, and, and she said, please speak to the king. Now, therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. So her last kind of plea was like, look, if you really want me, go to the king and ask him to marry me and, and let's do this the right way and, and he'll let you marry me and then we can, we can do this, but not this way. I wish I could tell you that it didn't, it, it, it did end in a good way, but it did not. Amnon ends up raping Tamar. And in verse 19, it says, Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the ornate robe she was wearing. She put her hands on her head and ran away, weeping aloud as she went. After this, you see, ashes were a sign of humiliation and disgrace. She immediately felt ashamed of what had happened to her. She tears the special robe that only virgin daughters of the king would have worn. And so by tearing these, by tearing the robe, it was a sign of disgrace. It was a sign of an, an expression of shame and sorrow and loss. We see this elsewhere in the Bible. Men would tear their robes as well when shame would come upon them. She cries out in verse 13, where could I get rid of my disgrace? I wish that I could tell you her father swept in to save the day and, and carried her his precious daughter through that tragedy, but he did not and he failed as a father and as a leader. Her other brother, uh, Absalom, ended up killing Amnon and so um, the situation gets dire and dire. So what we wanna see here is that Tamar was abused and it was not her fault. She felt ashamed of this and of course that's a normal feeling, but because she didn't dishonor God, she she, there's no need for her to carry that shame. And there's no need for you to carry that shame either. If you were sexually assaulted, if you were a victim of abuse, it wasn't your fault. And there's nothing that you should feel ashamed of. You have nothing to be ashamed of. You see, you are not defined by that situation. You're not defined by that uh, 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 terrible event in your life. That's not who you are. That doesn't have to hold you back from what God wants you to experience in your life today. You are a child of God. You are an adopted son, an adopted daughter of the Most High King. 
and he loves you and he cares for you and you are worthy um, to receive the blessings that God wants to give to you, not because of who you are, just in the same way that none of us deserve his grace, but he unconditionally gives you that grace and honor as a child or son of God. And so we wanna embrace that. And listen, we wanna resist that shame for sins that we did not commit. Secondly, we don't wanna allow shame to stick around. Even though God uses shame and we should feel ashamed of sin in our life, we shouldn't allow it to stick around. In other words, once we've confessed it, once we've repented of that sin, we shouldn't allow that shame to stick around in our life. And in chapter seven of Luke, we see a great story. If you never read it, go home and read the whole thing. I'm gonna summarize it for you. We're gonna read a few, a few verses here. But essentially, Jesus is, is, is at Peter's house. He's at Simon's house. And uh, there are Pharisees there. And in walks a prostitute. A prostitute who had already had an encounter um, with, with the Lord. And so she had accepted Christ. She had been uh, forgiven of her sins. So she is a believer. And so her response out of that decision and, 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 and her behavior is that she walks into this room. And as she weeps, she, she weeps over the feet of Jesus. And she uses her own hair to clean her feet, to clean his feet with her tears. She uses an oil that would have been in a, a very expensive oil in that time. And, and she kisses his feet, she weeps at his feet, and she cleans his feet in an act of humiliation and thanksgiving for the forgiveness that she had experienced. And so we see in verse 37 that it was a woman of the city who was a sinner. So, so that gives us the clue that she is indeed a prostitute. And all the guys in the room are looking down at her like, oh my gosh, what is she doing here? And oh my gosh, can you believe Jesus is actually letting, letting her touch him? How could, how could he let this happen? She's a sinner. This is ridiculous. You see, it's very easy for us to become pharisaical, isn't it? To believe that what we've done isn't as bad as what she did or what he did. And some people who have been in church for the longest time can tend to be the most pharisaical in that way. Always looking at other people as if they are worse than, than they. And so there's a pride that develops. And, and so the story that Jesus gives is not to like teach the prostitute who had received forgiveness something. The point of the story is that Simon and the disciples would learn something important here. And so let's jump in uh, to verse 41. He says this, a certain money lender had two debtors one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which one of them will love him more? And Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. So Jesus tells a little parable here. He says, look, one guy who's 500 bucks, another guy who's 50. And, 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 and the debtor forgives both of them and releases and cancels the debt for both of them. Who's gonna love that guy more? The guy who had $50 in debt or the guy with five? Well, he says, obviously, the guy with 500. And he says, yeah, you've judged correctly. Why? Because he's been forgiven of much. So he makes the, he, he, he makes the comparison here. In verse 44, he says, then turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? So it's like, okay, it's not, about, it's, it's not about like teaching the woman something at this case. This is about teaching Simon something. He says, do you see this woman? He said, I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. 
You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You do not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with oil. Therefore, I tell you her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. Here's the reality. Maybe you've been in church for a while. Maybe you got saved at a young age and you don't feel like you're such a bad person. You don't feel like, you know, you, know, you did anything wrong. You got saved as a kid. What was the worst thing you ever did? You weren't a prodigal. So the tendency for you is to think that, man, I'm not so bad. I'm not as bad as the prostitute. I'm not as bad as that guy. I'm not as bad as that girl. But the reality is, if you don't recognize the weight of your sin and that you deserved hell just as much as any other sinner, then you will miss this point that Jesus is trying to make. And his point is, when you recognize the gravity and weight of your sin, then you love much because you realize you've been forgiven of much. But if you don't think you're such a bad person, then the chances are you're not gonna feel like you needed much forgiveness and therefore you're gonna love little. And Jesus's point is her obedience, her, her, her act of humility here tells me everything about her heart. Despite her sin, which are many, he says, she has been forgiven. Verse 48, and he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with them began to say among themselves, who is this guy who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You know what he's telling her? He's like, look, your sins are forgiven now. I'm allowing you into the room. I'm letting you do this to show and to tell all of these guys that even though you have sinned greatly, I want you to leave today and I want you to know two things. All of your sin has been forgiven and you can live in peace. In other words, don't walk out of here continuing to feel guilty and ashamed of your past life because you, through your faith, have been created into a brand new creation. So maybe you've messed up royally in your life. You were a prodigal son. You've done some bad things. The reality is all of us have. We walk in here today, filthy rags before a holy God. And so, yeah, we should feel ashamed of those decisions. We should feel guilty for those decisions. But as we confess and repent of those sins in our life, we realize just as this prostitute did, like our sins have been forgiven. Now we live in peace. We don't allow those sins to hold us back and to draw us back and to keep us from experiencing the obedient, uh, abundant life that God wants us to experience today. And so we change our attitudes and, and, and we realize, here, here's the thing that we've got to realize that this woman experiences at this time and what God offers to you and what he offers to me today. And that is Jesus gives her a promise. He says, your, friends are, your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. See, that's the promise. No matter what you've done, no matter what you've brought into this place, no matter how broken you think your life has been, Jesus makes a promise to you. Your sins can be forgiven and you can live in peace, peace of mind, peace in relationships. So the reality is this woman had to decide and you've got to decide today as well. Like, am I gonna believe the promise of Jesus? Sure, yeah, okay, 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 I believe Jesus is the son of God down on the cross, blah, blah, blah. But I don't believe anything he said. I'm not living anything he said. This is where the rubber meets the road. Do you believe the words of Jesus? He makes a promise to you that your sins are forgiven 
and that you can live in peace. And so you've got to make that decision. You've got to understand that. You've got to believe that and you've got to live that. She was forgiven. She was saved and she can live in peace now. And all throughout the scripture, we see God's word teaching us that we can have forgiveness of our sins and we can walk and live in freedom. First John 1, 9, we're gonna deal with this verse over the next few weeks. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive you of your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Now, are we gonna believe that verse? Are we gonna allow that verse to become a reality in our hearts? The Spirit of God can do that. My recommendation for you as you're dealing with shame throughout this series and in your life is to find these verses, to memorize these verses to search your Pinterest account and find these verses on canvases and put them on your walls. You know, put it over your bed and in your bathroom so that you see the words of God and the truth of God and may it saturate your mind every single day. Acts 10, 43, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. You see, as a believer, are we gonna accept these uh, statements as truth. If so, then we've got to walk in them and we've got to understand them and, and we've got to reread them and memorize them and apply them to our lives so that God can begin to do a work. Finally, third thing I would say to do with your shame is, is after you've done number one and number two here, then number three is to focus on your future in Christ. Flip over to Romans chapter eight, one of my all-time favorite verses in the entire Bible that has got me through a lot of difficult times in my own life is Romans eight twenty eight. I wish I could read the whole chapter here. But he's talking about our future glory and how we face a lot of suffering in life. We, and, and, and these bad things happen to us. Divorce happens, parents leave, people get abused in different ways. And, and we ask the why question, God, why, why, why? Well, the reality is we're never gonna get the why question answered. But you can have the what question answered. God, what do you want me to do with this? God, what am I supposed to do now? Am I, am I a used up vessel? I'm just broken vessel now that I can't do anything right. I, I think wrong, I act wrong. God, I'm just broken. So, I mean, I, I guess there's nothing in store for me. This whole chapter is about our future glory. And he says, look, the present sufferings that you're going through don't even hold a candle. They don't compare to the future that you have with Jesus. Your best days are ahead of you. The best is yet to come. Yes, in heaven and future glory with Jesus, but even as we walk in the spirit with God, your marriage gets better, your relationships get better as you seek to love him and embrace his truth in your life. And you can overcome the shame and guilt that you're experiencing. Romans 8, 28 says this, and we know that for those who love God, so this promise isn't for everybody in the room, okay? This promise is for only those in the room who love God. And I'm not gonna assume that everybody in this room does love God. But for those who love God, this promise is for you. He says, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purposes. So all things, the good, the bad, the ugly, all things work for our Good. You say there's no way any good can come out of this, Trent. I could give you a thousand stories right now of how sexually abused, divorced, drug addicts, uh, prostitutes, how all kinds of all these various lifestyles that we think, oh man, that's never gonna get healed. God heals. God uses for uh, our good and for his glory. 
So don't tell me that what you're going through cannot be overcome. I see the promises of God's word and we either believe them or we don't. We can't answer the why question of why that happened, but I can begin to point you in the direction of God's word that shows you the what. And I can tell you that right now, God can take that evil situation that somebody intended for evil against you and use it for your good if you allow the spirit of God to work in your life. Think of the story of Joseph. Joseph was beat up, uh, left for dead, then sold into slavery by his own family members. He was accused of a crime he didn't commit. He spent years in jail. All of this bad stuff happened in his life over the course of several years. Finally, God gets him out of jail, puts him in charge of the entire nation of Egypt. He's running the whole show and then his brothers come begging for food. And and if it were you or I, our first instinct would have been like, all right, throw him in jail. Go ahead and cut his head off. Go ahead and beat the crap out of that guy. Um, And, you know, we would have been ready for judgment, right? But Joseph says, all right, guys, here's the deal. What you intended for evil God used for my good. Oh man, that's so powerful. And I realize that some of you don't think that you can ever get there. But the words of the Bible, God's truth tells me no matter what situation you're facing that he wants to take you there. He wants you to enjoy that peace and you've got to focus on that future. The focus on a brighter future. Here's how we get there. First of all, we we refocus by getting our heart right with God. Some of you, your heart is not right with God today. You're, you're living in sin and, and you're living in disobedience. And as you continue to live in sin and disobedience, it's gonna be near impossible to overcome the shame that you experienced 10 years ago or last week because there's so much shame and guilt for what you're currently doing. So you've gotta get your heart right. For some of you, that means accepting Christ into your life. You've never given him your life. Sure, you believe that Jesus is the son of God or that he died on the cross, but you've never surrendered your life to him. You've never received him into your life. You've never turned from your sin and truly experienced salvation. So that's step one. You gotta get your heart right with God. Secondly, you've got to reach out to God on a daily basis. And so fighting shame, fighting guilt, overcoming sin isn't just like a one hour event on Sunday morning. If you truly wanna experience the love and grace of Jesus Christ, then jump into his word every day of your life. So establish a reading plan, get into God's word, read it. Allow the spirit of God to transform your attitude in your mind. Allow him to transform you. That only happens through the work of the spirit through his word. If you're not in a small group, man, that's an added bonus that allows you to overcome these things, just being in the presence of God's word and being in the presence of other believers who have overcome certain things as well helps you to overcome. And then finally, you gotta get up every day and you gotta face the world strong and courageous. You can't allow that sin to hold you back from who God wants you to be today. You can't allow those past mistakes to keep you from taking a risk today to follow God, to trust God, to, 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 to follow him into other relationships, to follow him in, into other venues, into other avenues of life that he's calling you to live. You can't allow that stuff to hold you back any longer. It's time for you to change. It's time for you to overcome this. It's time for you to find hope in the gospel. It's not hope and find, you know, a counselor will help you, but it's not hope in a counselor. It's not hope in a pastor. It's not hope in a, in a friend. It's simply a hope in Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can take you through it and bring you through it. So here are a few ways that I wanna, I wanna leave you with today that you can begin to do that. Uh, this September, we're starting our, all of our recovery groups again. And a recovery group is a short-term group that deals with a specific issue. And we've got three different groups that are starting this September. One is divorce care. 
So if you've gone through a divorce and you're like, man, I don't know what to think or how to do this, or I don't know, even it could have been 20 years ago or it could be this year. I mean, there are things that will help you deal with some of these past issues. And so, so like to do that, join these groups. So they're very small groups. Um, they're very confidential. Um, divorce Care is led by two of the greatest people I've ever met in my life, Paul and Tina Boyett. And so they're, they're incredible. Um, starts this September. I'd love for you guys to check it out. You can go online and register for it. Um, it's going to be on Tuesday nights, starting on September 22nd. We've got an addiction uh, group that will begin. Celebrate Recovery is going to start. So if you've dealt with addiction in your life, or you know somebody that's dealing with it currently, um, I encourage you to bring them. They don't have to go to church here. Just say, man, you should, let's go together. You should come to this and dive into this, because this will begin to, uh, through the Spirit, allow them to be set free from that addiction and from those sins that will hold them back for the rest of their life. And then finally, there's an abuse group that is going to begin. So any form of abuse that you've gone through or, or you know of that somebody's gone through, take them to this course. Allow them to work through this with other people, other believers in a biblical way. Not to mention in our cafe in the caring counseling section, there are some great books on how to overcome woundedness and, 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 and experience healing. Um, one of the best books I've ever read on abuse is Rid of My Disgrace. And we've got it in the cafe. Um, but that's a great one to either recommend to somebody or read for yourself if that's something that you've experienced. Um, it, it's a huge, uh, I think, um, no-brainer for people to dive into to help them overcome that. So some things do need to be broken. We don't like to experience brokenness. I get that. And when we think of brokenness, so often we think of it in a negative light. But the reality is some things need to be broken and shame is one of them. And my prayer for you today is that it would indeed be broken. So I wanna close with this prayer. I wanna encourage you to write this prayer down. Let's say this together this morning. Let's mean this prayer together and, and let's, let's, let's say it every day together. Uh, I'll read it through first. First of all, God, forgive me for whatever that it's sin is, whatever you did, whatever you experienced, whatever failure or painful experience you think of. Like, like God, forgive me of whatever that is. And then give me the faith to believe your promise of forgiveness is true and allow me to release my shame to you. Can we just say this last phrase together, starting with this word right here? Ready? One, two, three. Give me the faith to believe your promise of forgiveness is true and allow me to release my shame to you. Very short, simple prayer, but make that your own this week. Make that your own today because as you begin to pray that, the Holy Spirit of God can begin to release that shame that you're experiencing and give it over to him. And truly, for the first time, you can begin to live your life in peace. Would you bow your heads? Let's pray this morning. Maybe you'll just begin to pray this prayer right now, asking God to forgive you for whatever it is and asking you, asking him to give you that faith to believe in his forgiveness. You can give your shame to him. Release that shame to him. See, I mentioned some of you have never accepted Christ and what I wanna encourage you to do before you leave, as always, we've got a room called the prayer and care room. We've got counselors that'll be in there. As soon as you walk out the back doors, it's to your left. They would love to spend some time with you today. If you need somebody to pray with you or just encourage you, if you want just to talk to somebody about some of the things that this sermon or what the Spirit is doing in your heart today, they would love to be able to encourage you and pray with you. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and even right now the Holy Spirit is like, bro, that is me, that is you, you need to do this, I encourage you to go to that room as soon as the service is over 
talk to them and just simply say, I need Jesus. They'll show you some scripture. They'll pray with you. They'll lead you in that decision. The band is gonna close us in a song just to kind of sing over us. I want you to just to kind of look at the words, hear the lyrics, and just let God's spirit continue to do a work in your heart this morning as we pray. God, give us the faith to believe in your promises that they are in fact true. And may we release our shame to you today. May we walk out of here confident and strong, overcoming that guilt, overcoming that shame, not allowing shame to linger long and not allowing things that we didn't do, things that we didn't cause to bring us shame any longer. Help us to focus on our future today. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.